Thanks, man. How are we going, church? Good to see you. Want to give your neighbor a high five? Say good day. I feel like I feel like we're a bit spread out today. How about we come in a little bit? I love to be able to see your smiling faces. So why don't we just uh, move into the middle? Thank you, Yako and Azan. The rest of you guys coming up the back, just come on, move in. Then I can see you. That's awesome. So yeah, we're in movie made. We softened you up a little bit with a couple of kind of feel-good family movies uh, the last couple of weeks. But now we're going to hit you with a hard-out heavyweight drama. Um, it's called, don't worry, there's not too much violence in it, but it's called, it's called Lincoln. Anybody seen this movie? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, show of hands. Wow. Yeah. I can tell you love your heavyweight dramas, church. If I asked how many have seen The Avengers, which also came out the same year, oh, I'd be, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's not to be confused with the movie Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which also came out. Uh, in the same year. Um, who's seen that movie? Man, I, shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't do a show of hands. Um, you should have seen this movie because it got nominated for seven uh, Golden Globes for 12 Academy Awards. It won Best uh, Actor for both uh, the Oscar and the Golden Globe. Um, it's worth just seeing for the incredible way that Daniel Day-Lewis, who won the Oscar, becomes Abraham Lincoln. Like, he's, the man's an acting genius. Um, he really is. And apparently, he turned down the role, like, nine years previously, uh, because he didn't, you know, I don't know, he just didn't feel called at that space. But they, they hounded him, and nine years later, he said yes. He spent a whole year researching Abraham Lincoln. He read 100 books on him, and he just, and he just became, that's how you win an Oscar, folks. You do your research. You do the hard yards. We, we just think, you know, actors, oh, they just swan around. Well, if you want to be really good at anything, it takes, it takes dedication. And uh, so he's, and he's, a, he's an incredible method actor. Uh, I don't know if you know what method acting is. It's when you pretty much inhabit the person. You become them. You just do everything like them. And, and I read a funny uh, comment in a, um, in a thread after one of these clips. It said, breaking news, Daniel Day-Lewis cast as serial killer. 20 found dead uh, because, because he's just like that into it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be surprised if that would happen. But uh, it's, it's false. It's not true. Um, but it's not just for the great acting chops that we're going to look at this movie uh, and not just for the fact that it's actually one of those movies that makes you feel smarter after you've watched it as opposed to all the other ones we watch which make you feel bit dumber. Uh, come on, you know that you watch them. Um, so it's got some amazing biblical themes, amazing ideas, and, and challenging thoughts. So what I thought we'd do is we'll just dive in with the trailer just to give you a feel for it, and then we'll go into it. A bombardment of the largest fleet the Navy has ever assembled. A hundred shells a minute, till they surrender. Dear God. Mr. Lincoln, I hate them all. I do. I am a prejudiced man. Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. You're going to try to pass the amendment to abolish slavery. No one's loved as much as you by the people. Don't waste that power. Come February the 1st, I intend to sign the 13th Amendment. A fight like this is to the death. Those Southern men are coming to propose peace. Abolishing slavery settles the fate for the millions now in bondage, an unborn millions to come. It's either the amendment or this Confederate peace. You cannot have both. Slavery, sir, it's done. Even if every Republican votes yes, we'd still be 20 votes short. Only 20? Slavery is the only insult to natural law. Even worthless, unworthy you ought to be treated equally before the law. These votes must be procured. Congressman, come cheap. A few thousand bucks and buy all you need. We can't buy the votes. Let me see what you can do. Think of all the boys who die if you don't make peace. I can't end this war until we cure ourselves of slavery. This amendment is that cure. We need two yeses. Get the hell out of here and get them. But how? I am the president of the United States clothed in immense power. 
you will procure me these votes. Compromise, or you risk it all. The war will be over in a month. We are guaranteed to lose the whole thing. You shoot me dead, I am voting yes. Leave the Constitution alone. Today we will vote. You insult God. moved yeah so i'm gonna have to give you a bit of a history lesson here i'm sorry uh in another life i was a history teacher uh i don't know but we, we need to understand the context before we can kind of dive in and, and get this so it's january 1865 president lincoln expects the civil war to end soon uh, so that's between those you don't know it's between the northern states of the union and the southern states of the confederacy uh, and it's over slavery. The Union wants um, to abolish slavery, and the Confederate States want to keep it. Um, and the war has been raging for four years, uh, but it looks like it's drawing to a close and the Confederates will lose. Back two years earlier in 1863, Lincoln had made his famous Emancipation Proclamation um, to abolish slavery. And this proclamation declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are henceforward and shall be free. Which sounds great, but the Emancipation Proclamation was limited in many ways because it only applied to the states, to the states that had seceded from the Union, who had, who had left the United States, and not the, not the whole United States. And it was written by Lincoln during the war, uh, after he had kind of decided that the Constitution had given him special war powers to do that. But beyond the war, it wasn't particularly legally binding. So Lincoln realizes that once the war is over, his Emancipation Proclamation is kind of on shaky ground legally. And his fear is that when the war ends, it would be discarded by the courts. And all that would have happened is that hundreds of thousands of people would have died and there'd be no further on in their battle against slavery. Okay? So, uh, so Lincoln then decides he, he will draft the 13th Amendment. Uh, the only way you change anything in American politics is by changing the, the, the Constitution, and it's, it's hard to do. Um, but the 13th Amendment to the American Constitution would legal, legally free all slaves in the United States. But he knew that, he knew that to, to pass the 13th Amendment after the war would be tr very, very tricky because it means those other uh, slavery um, states, the, 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 the Confederacy would be back in the Union and they would, they would vote against it. And so he couldn't change it. So, so he, wants to, he wants to change the, add in this 13th Amendment before the war is over, okay? You following so far? Yep, making sense. So um, this is political drama at its best. Uh, and at the heart of this story is this major tension in in Lincoln's heart, because you see, he, he's got this major moral quandary. He, he essentially wants two things desperately, and he kind of has to choose between the two. On the one hand, he wants to abolish slavery. On the other hand, he wants to end the war. And, and they're both good things. They are both things like this war, 700,000 men have died thus far. It's been going for four years. It's torn the nation apart, and people are crying out for the war to end. He wants the war to end. At the same time, he wants to rid America of slavery. And, and so this is his tension. And, and you go, well, why can't he have both? You know, why can't he just do both? Well, if the war ends before the amendment passes, as I said, those other states will come in, and, and then they won't get slavery, uh, slavery abolished. And his Emancipation Proclamation will just be kind of a nice, you know, speech that he gave. Um, but you see, in the background also, Lincoln is actually secretly arranging to meet with a delegation of the southern states, the Confederacy, to negotiate an end to the war. But if they hear that he's pushing through the, the 13th Amendment to get rid of slavery, then they'll be like, no, nah, we're, not, we're not signing anything. And the war will continue. Okay, so you understand his... His issue. He's he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place uh, as a leader. Uh, 
Because he wants, you know, he, he really wants the water end. His son is about to sign up. He's, he's lost two kids in uh, circumstances earlier. And, it's, and his wife is pleading with him to not let his son go. But he knows that actually it's his son's choice. He's of age. He can choose. So he's got some personal involvement in wanting the, the water end as well. Because his son is signing up and about to go into it. Um, so he wants the water end. And he desperately wants to abolish slavery. So... Here's the quandary. <laughs> it's two good things. And I would put it to you that the hardest decisions in our lives are not between right and wrong, are not between good and evil. They're between the good and the good, the, the right thing and the right thing. Those are the hardest decisions we make. Those are the things which we lie awake and wonder. And, and uh, the, Between right and wrong is pretty easy. We know there's a, there's a Holy Spirit guiding us. We kind of know, yeah, this is right, this is right, and I know what I need to do. But when these things are like, well, this is good, and this also is good, and these are both desperately good things, that's when decisions uh, become difficult. And that's, that's at the heart of this movie. And I, and I think actually it touches on something in our lives. It's so true for us that actually, you know, as Christians, we have a guide, we have the Bible, we have God, and we know right from wrong, and we, we generally know those decisions are easy. But what about when it's two right, seemingly right good things? And I'm not just meaning, you know, what flavor ice cream you choose. We make these kind of decisions every day, you know, but the, those are easy ones, but it's, it's the heavier ones. Perhaps it's not on the magnitude that Lincoln is facing, but, but you know, they have major consequences for our lives. You know, the, the decision, do we marry this person? Do we not marry this person? Do, do we marry someone else? Do we marry no one? Do, those are all legitimate choices. Do we, do we leave our, our country and come to this country? Do we leave home or do we stay here? Do we, do we take this job or do we take that job? They are all potentially right, good, often good choices. And sometimes we just, let the decision make itself for us, ourselves by just kind of vacillating and, and waiting and waiting until one of those choices falls off the radar. And that's a dumb way to make a decision, but sometimes we do that. But I, what I want us to do just today is, is look at some pointers about how we make those, those hard decisions, how we make those hard calls in our world. Um, and, and I hope you, you get some, some, some great stuff from this. So Let's just, actually, let's just pray as we do this. Father, I invite you by your Holy Spirit, come, give us wisdom. Show us, Lord, uh, what you want to reveal to us today. We want to be touched by your Spirit. We want your words to speak into our hearts and guide us in our hard decisions. Guide us in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point I would say is that we need to earnestly follow the call of God. Earnestly follow the call of God. You see, if we make the decision not so much about right and right, but actually about what is the call of God and what is not, then it becomes easier in our lives. If we think about Jesus and his ministry, there were so many good things that he could do. You know, he, he came and he was only in a limited geographical area for a limited amount of time. But imagine if you thought, man, this is this is good. I'm doing good things. I'm healing people. I'm setting people free. And the people are loving it. The crowds are coming. He could have kept doing that for 60 years. Jesus could have still been ministering into his 90s, healing people and raising the dead and doing amazing things. And he could have gone far further geographically than just kind of around Israel. And that would have been a good thing, right? You know, he could have done amazing things. And yet he didn't. He was only ministering for about three years in a very defined geographical area, and then he was gone. And the reason for that is because it wasn't about choosing between right things. It was between doing these right things or doing the one thing that he's called to do. And that, that should be the thing that guides our decisions. We read it in John 6, 38 and 39, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. See, he had a higher agenda beyond just healing people in the here and now and doing good things around us. He had a call that went beyond it. For Lincoln, he was a Christian and he, he believed he had a mandate. He had a call to abolish slavery. And he was fixed on doing that. He was the president of the United States, but I believe in his heart, he had a call to get rid of slavery. And, and this call, and you know, there were thousands, literally about 700,000 reasons why he should have turned away from that call. Hundreds of thousands of young men were dying because he was holding to this call. That's an incredibly hard decision to make, but at the end of the day, he made it because he held to a call beyond other right things. Of course, he could, and we'll see later on, that he he endeavors to do both, to both end the war and to free slaves. But you see, it's the same for Jesus. He, 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 could, have, he could have just gone on healing and doing good things, and that would have been it. But he kept the bigger goal in view, the bigger picture, the bigger call. And this is a powerful thought for us. So if you're facing a hard decision right now, you need to actually stop going, weighing up and you know making little tick lists of these are the pros and these are the cons. You actually got to put that aside and go, okay, God, what's your call on my life, on our life as a, as a family, as a couple? What is it that you want us to do? What do I feel that you have called me to do? And then the decision becomes clear. So that's my first point. And if you haven't made the decision by then, okay, well, let's move on to, because sometimes, you know, it's not about call. Sometimes it goes beyond call. It's just good things. Uh, You know, my second guiding principle would be, does your choice require faith, hope, and love? Does my choice require faith, hope, and love? See, the Bible is our guide, right? You know, uh, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It guides us. And the greatest, I think, guide um, phrase in the Bible would be that idea in 1 Corinthians 13. uh, Paul's just been talking about love, and he says, These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of them is love. That, that, just that idea should be our guiding principle. If you're making a hard call, you've got to ask yourself the question, is this a step of faith? Or, or am I just taking the easy way out? Is this a decision of hope? Or am I just letting my fears and my insecurities and my anxieties and my doubts rule this decision? And is this a decision of love? Is this the most loving thing that I can do for those around me and for, for me and for my family? Is this a decision of love? I would, I would test your decisions on those three criteria. Is it a decision of faith? Is it a decision of hope? Is it a decision of love? And that should make things clear. Is that a good principle? I think it's pretty, pretty sound scripturally. So for Lincoln, it took greater faith to pursue abolition. It was, it was the choice of greatest hope for, for millions of people to get rid of slavery. And it was definitely the choice of love for those people to be freed from bondage. For Lincoln, I think it was, a, it was, a, it was faith, hope, and love which guided that decision for him. So run your decisions through that filter. And the third thing I would say you should do is to just get wise counsel. Get wise counsel. And making the hard decision between two good options, don't think that you've got all the answers. It's foolishness not to ask someone else's opinion. It is lit, you are literally a fool, the Bible says. Proverbs 12, 15. Fools think they need no advice, but the wise listen to others. To quote the great theologian, Mr. T, pity a fool. <laughs> pity the fool who doesn't ask someone else for advice. Proverbs, he's not a theologian, if you don't know who Mr. T is. Proverbs eleven fourteen. 
uh, says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that people are advising you to do. You can make your own decision, and you probably will, but in seeking counsel, you, you do a few things. Firstly, you humble yourself, which is really, really important because you open up the option that perhaps you are wrong, that perhaps you don't have the answer. I know some of you that might be you know, a curious idea that you might be wrong, um, but what that does is that actually gets God on your side. Do you realize that? Asking someone else, let me, let me show you how. Because James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, I don't have it on the screen, but I, I quote it all the time. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. So if you humble yourself enough to ask someone's opinion, you're getting God's favor on your side. You're saying, actually, I don't know everything and I'm gonna, I need God's favor. So that's the first thing you do when you, you humble yourself when you ask someone. Secondly, you, it gives you a different and potentially unbiased point of view. Because when you're in the heat of the moment, when you're involved emotionally in a decision, you know, when it's about people you love or dislike or the, where there's emotions there or situations or, or circumstances that you actually have some vested interest in, your, your, your thinking can become clouded because you're so emotionally evolved, involved. But if, if someone outside of that you can ask, they can give you a, a, a bigger picture. They can step out of that more easily and give you a, an unbiased point of view. So that's, that, that's healthy there. Uh, and thirdly, it actually helps you wrestle with the issue. When you ask someone, just, just having some robust discussion is healthy. Actually arguing about stuff, because it helps you formulate your own, go, actually, no, I do believe this. Or actually, no, maybe I am wrong on this. But just having a bit of, having someone um, actually come against you with an opposing view is a healthy thing. And fourthly, it shares the load in decision making. Ultimately, the decision is yours. But when you, when you talk with someone else, then they, they come on board with that. And they can hold you accountable to that. And so if you go, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to do that. And then later on down the track, you chicken out. That person could go, hang on, we discussed this and you were going to do this, you know. It shares the load of the decision. It helps hold you accountable. Abraham Lincoln, well, I'm not going to show you scenes, but there were many people who were advising him. And actually many people were saying, you heard in that clip, you can't have both. You can't get rid of slavery and end the war. You just can't do it. And, and I think having people oppose him, his ideas and having to argue stuff out solidified his, his decision and helped him push through in, in what he felt called to do. So we need to ask others. We need to get wise decisions and, and, and get... So hopefully, I, I don't know, I, it was funny. In prayer meeting, we, I was praying with two people, and both of them had these big decisions they had to make. And I just feel, we'll, we'll pray at the end, but I feel there's a number of people here that you're facing some decisions, and you're looking for some wisdom. And I, I just believe God's got it for you here this morning. He's going to show you. He's going to drop something of the call of God into your heart. That you're going to go, oh, actually, the decision's clear. And uh, so I'm believing for that later. But So that's the first thing that I want to draw out of this, this movie. The second idea. Uh, is, is that we need to be, as Christians, we need to be both cunning and innocent. Matthew 10, you go, that's cunning, really? Matthew 10, 16, Jesus' words, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. For the message says, as cunning as a snake and as inoffensive as a dove. You see, when we think of these great heroes like Abraham Lincoln, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a temptation to kind of mythologize them and hold them up as, you know, there's the big Lincoln Memorial, there's his face on Mount Rushmore, there's Honest Abe, there's all these kind of, we, we th- oh man, they were just so, but they were just humans. He was just a regular man. What's more, he was a politician. 
<laughs> like, we forget that because nowadays, what do we think of politicians? They're like ranks the lowest and trustworthy, um, you know, firemen are up there as trustworthy people, but politicians, they're down the bottom. Uh, and, and, and I just think, you know, we, we need to realize that, that honest Abe, this, this great leader, wasn't above playing the duty games of politics for a righteous cause. He needed 20 more votes to get his 13th Amendment passed. And he wasn't above political vote buying. He offers jobs, promotions, titles, what they call pork barrel spending. So that's like government money given into a local region so, so that they you know, garner support in their region. He wasn't above that. He, he employed some pretty shady negotiators. Um, and, uh, one of them, James Spader, who, who you might know if you used to watch Boston Legal. He's a pretty shady character. Um, there's a great shot. Uh, you saw it in the, in the shorts of one of his, it was James Spader, uh, negotiators bumping into one of these sway voters and all this money goes on the ground, and then he picks it all up and gives it to the uh, to the uh, the politician. So it was just his secret way of of basically bribing him, giving him money, just in the corridor of uh, of <laughs> of the White House. Um, there's and and it asks a question. This movie asks a question of us: Does the does the end justify the means? You know, actually. And I'm not, I haven't got a definitive answer here for you. But I would put this to you, that Jesus was an innocent man put up against a bunch of corrupt and devious leaders and politicians. He was a lamb. He was the lamb amongst a pack of wolves. And yet he prevailed. Yes, he was without sin, but he ain't stupid. He was shrewd. He was smart. God had given him probably the best brain uh, ever. So he, he, and he knows that we as his followers are in that, are going to be in that place. We are, he says, like lamb among wolves. So he urges us to be shrewd, to be cunning, to be as wise as snakes, but at the same time as innocent as doves. Which asks the question, you know, is it justifiable to commit a lesser sin to prevent a greater atrocity? I, I, I don't have easy answers for you there. Dietrich von Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, was killed for his role in an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. So here's a great theologian planning to murder someone. Yeah, that's a bit uh, kind of dodgy. Um, but in the balance... He thought, well, it's better to kill this one man than to, to save thousands, potentially millions of people's lives. Perhaps you don't face decisions of that magnitude, but to a lesser level, you know, to hurt someone's feelings now by telling them a truth that they don't want to hear, to potentially, you know, see them not make bigger mistakes later on in their lives, to tell a white lie to protect someone's integrity, to play dirty to actually win for a noble cause. That's what Lincoln is doing here. It's a case-by-case -case basis, but I just want to tell you the word to Jesus there. Be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. Sometimes we need to compromise. And this is my third point. Sometimes compromise is the right thing to do. We don't like the idea of compromise as Christians. I think and rightly so, I think, you know, there are things that we don't want to compromise in. But at the same time, sometimes compromise is actually the wise and the right thing to do. There's a great character in the story by the name of Thaddeus Stevens. Not only does he have a highly underrated biblical name, Thaddeus, uh, I think, you know, some of you need to put that in your name books, uh, future kids. He's an amazing guy. Um, played by Tommy Lee Jones. He's, he's nominated for an Academy Award for this. He's the leader of the radical Republicans. They are, they are hardline on the abolition of slavery. So they actually, you know, they think that Lincoln has been too soft. He's not hardline enough. And this Thaddeus, he's, he's a complex guy. He's a cantankerous old man, um, but he's unswerving in his morals and in, in his, in his um, 
conviction that they have to rid the world of slavery. And uh, so he's, he's hard at it. He wants far more reform than Lincoln wants. He wants land given back. He wants vote for colored people. He, want, he wants things that we would think were reasonable today, but back then were, were highly contentious and radical. So the trouble for Lincoln is that that is, is so hard line, he could torpedo their whole chance of getting the 13th Amendment passed. Uh, just by being so hard line, he's going to drive off all the kind of wavering voters. Uh, and so I want to show you two, or actually just one scene today that captures some of this. So um, we could play that next clip for you. Awesome. Since we have the floor next in the debate, I thought I'd suggest you might temper your contribution so as not to frighten our conservative friends. Ashley insists on ensuring approval by dispensing patronage to otherwise undeserving Democrats. Well, I can't ensure a single damn thing if you scare the whole house silly with talk of land appropriations, revolutionary tribunals. When the war ends, I intend to push for full equality, the Negro vote, and much more. Congress shall mandate the seizure of every foot of rebel land and every dollar of their property. We'll use their confiscated wealth to establish hundreds of thousands of free Negro farmers and at their side, soldiers armed to occupy and transform the heritage of traitors. We'll build up the land down there of free men and free women and free children and freedom. The nation needs to know that we have such plans. That's the untempered version of Reconstruction. It's not, it's not quite exactly what I intend. But we shall oppose one another in the course of time. Now we're working together, and I'm asking you... For patience, I expect. You know, when the people disagree, bringing them together requires going slow till they're ready to make up... Now, shit on the people. What they want and what they're ready for. I don't give a goddamn about the people and what they want. This is the face of someone who has fought long and hard for the good of the people without caring much for any of them. And I look a lot worse without my wig. The people elected me to represent them, to lead them, and I lead. You ought to try it. I admire your zeal, Mr. Stevens, and I have tried to profit from the example of if I'd listened to you, I'd have declared every slave free the minute the first shell struck Fort Sumter. Then the border states would have gone over to the Confederacy, the war would have been lost, and the Union along with it. And instead of abolishing slavery, as we hope to do in two weeks, we'd be watching helpless as infants as it spread from the American South into South America. Oh, how you have longed to say that to me. You claim you trust them, but you know what the people are. You know that the inner compass that should direct the soul toward justice has ossified in white men and women north and south unto utter uselessness through tolerating the evil of slavery white people cannot bear the thought of sharing this country's infinite abundance with negroes a compass i learned when i was surveying it'll it'll point you true north from where you're standing but it's got no advice about the swamps deserts and chasms that you all encounter along the way. If in pursuit of your destination you plunge ahead heedless of obstacles and achieve nothing more than to sink in a swamp, what's the use of knowing true north? It's good, eh? That's a, that's a, a key idea that Actually, in life, it's knowing when to compromise and when not to compromise. That is wisdom. And Lincoln is a great politician because he knows that. That is, is a good politician too, but he's, he's not so good at that. And, and, and he sees that as weakness in Lincoln. He says you should try leading sometime. But actually, often leadership is about compromise. As, as Christians, we run the risk of two kind of extremes. 
which can both be unhealthy. Either we live a life where we compromise on the wrong things and we compromise too regularly to the world around us and we kind of rely on what, again, Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace, that we just come back to God and go, oh, I'm sorry, God, I did it again. And we just keep coming back to Him. We keep coming back to Him and we go, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter because God forgives me. Or yes, He forgives you, but your impact in the world is, is, is nil. Because you're so compromised yourself that you don't stand for anything. You don't stand for uh, the change that Jesus has made in your, in your life. Or we live a life rigidly not compromising on the things that we actually shouldn't be so hard line on. We become legalists. Jesus had a good go at the, at the, uh, at the Pharisees for this. We become so uptight on the little things on the things of the law that actually we lose sight of the bigger picture and of the love, of the grace that we are under. You see, the key is, is actually not falling on either side of those, but is learning to know when we live by calling, we, we, we begin to see between the, the, the black and the white and we see the grays and we, we realize actually it's not about right and wrong so much as it is about following the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus said a very simple but profound thing to his followers. When he saw them mending their nets on the beach, he said, come, follow me. And it's actually that simple for us today. It's not about deciding, oh, right and wrong. No, it's just come, follow Jesus. When we follow in relationship with him, then we learn, okay, this is something that I need to give a bit of ground on. No, this is something that I need to stand up in. The, the pitfalls that come our way, if we're, we're tight with Jesus, then, then we, can, we can know when to compromise and when to stand firm. Am I saying we need to live a life of compromise? Well, sometimes, yes. Sometimes you need to compromise on the little to achieve the big. That's what Lincoln had to do. He knew, you know, quite possibly he wanted the same things as Thaddeus Stevens, but, but he knew that to get the 13th Amendment, over the line, they needed to compromise. They needed to come. Uh, and I'm not going to show you the next, uh, there's another clip around that, um, but we don't have time. Um, but I just want to show you something about, out of Jesus' life, about how he uh, kind of compromises on the law, but, it, but in turn he's, he's following an overriding law. In Luke 13, verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for working, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? See, Jesus supposedly compromised the law of the Sabbath, but he was actually obeying a higher law, the law of love. And there are a whole lot of little laws that we as Christians like to think we obey. And then we go and ignore the higher law of love. And, and, and I'm here to say, stop justifying your lack of love by ticking the boxes and, and doing the, the right things. You know, I can't hang with, out with those people because of what people would think. Well, rubbish. Do you know who Jesus hung out with? I can't give to that person because I'm enabling their addiction. No, you're just being stingy. You just don't want to be generous and loving, and you're justifying it. You know, both Lincoln and Thaddeus Stevens had to compromise to fulfill a higher purpose. Sometimes we need to compromise, and we need to get down in the muck, and we actually just need to love. Because there's no higher purpose that God calls us to. Lincoln and, and Thaddeus, they, their opposition, they knew they knew that Thaddeus was a firebrand, and the scene I'm not going to show you, I can tell you, they goad him. They try and get him to, 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 to just be so outlandish that he'll drive away all the votes. But he realizes, and he, he shows self-control, 
and he doesn't. He doesn't, um, put, you know, go and say all the things he wants to say about uh, equality around black and white people. He he wants to go there, but he just he bites his tongue because he sees the bigger picture. I think we need, as Christians, we need to see the bigger picture more often. You, you would have read the, the, in, in the papers this foray around Israel Folau, and, and it's a prime example. Like, what Israel Folau is, is saying is, is essentially true. He's quoting Scripture, and that's, that's true. But is it wise? Does it do the kingdom of God any favors? Not a lot. It, it, it just, it's contentious, and actually it's, it's not all that helpful. Sometimes we need, we need, it's not that we, we don't believe and we don't uh, agree with what the Bible says, but some, there is a time and a place. There is a wisdom that we need to learn. And I think walking through relationship, because I, I feel like, I don't know, I don't know Israel Folau, but I, I feel like he's been guided by some legalistic kind of teaching and he's, and he's feeling like he has to say this stuff. And, and the relationship, I don't know, I, I'm not one to judge. But I think for us, we need to be wise and what we say and how we say it and say it in love and be prepared to compromise on the little to, to show the greater cause of love. I'll just invite keys up. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing to a close. There's a powerful movie and, and I've, I've actually got one more clip I want to show you. Um, but my, my final point and really, it's, it's, it's key in this movie is we just need to learn how to hold the course. Lincoln, throughout this, this turmoil, he holds the course. He holds to his conviction. He holds to his call relentlessly in the face of, of opposition and, as I said, of, of, of potentially seeing his son go off to war. And Once you've got a call, you've got to hold to it. Lincoln was like a dog with a bone. People kept saying, you can't have both. You can't end the war and end slavery. It has to be one or the other. And he just stubbornly refuses to take that as an answer. And I want to show you this, this final scene, and then we'll close. Our members were fairly well. It's got, it's got You've had no defections from the Republican right to trouble you. Whereas to what you promised, where the hell are the commissioners? It's true. You, you lied to me, Mr. Lincoln. You evaded my request for a denial that, that there is a Confederate peace offer because, because there is one. We are absolutely guaranteed to lose the whole thing. And we don't need we'll a goddamn abolition amendment. amendment. No. Leave the Constitution what alone. The peace commissioners appear today or, or state worse, by state on the extra... I can't. Listen to this anymore. I can't accomplish a goddamn thing of any human meaning or worth until we cure ourselves of slavery and end this pestilential war. And whether any of you or anyone else knows it, I know I need this. This amendment is that cure. We're stepped out upon the world stage now, now, with the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment, now, now, now. And you grousel and heckle and dodge about like pettifogging Tammany Hall hucksters. See what is before you. See the here and now. That's the hardest thing, the only thing that accounts. Abolishing slavery by constitutional provision settles the fate for all coming time, not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Two votes stand in its way. These votes must be procured. We need two yeses, three abstentions, four, four yeses, and, and one more abstention, and the amendment will pass. You got a night and a day and a night and several perfectly good hours. Now get the hell out of here and get them. Yes, but how? 
Buzzard's got man. I am the president of the United States of America, clothed in immense power. You will procure me these votes. Wow. Buzzard's guts. That's a saying I'm going to start using. <laughs> now, it's not, it's not actually spoiling the movie to tell you that. They got the votes uh, that they needed. Well, you can just look up uh, the American Constitution. There's a 13th Amendment in there, uh, and they got it shortly uh, before the war ended. But there was a huge cost to Lincoln. In a later scene, he's talking to uh, General Ulysses S. Grant, who, who's the main general who won on the war. And uh, he says to him, by outward appearance, you're 10 years older than you were a year ago. And it, it ages him incredibly. There's a, there's a massive cost to him. And in fact, he pays the ultimate price because five days after the war ends, a fellow by the name of Booth walks into a theater and shoots Abraham Lincoln, assassinates him. And that's it. So he actually pays the ultimate price for his stand against slavery. And just that, that phrase that he used there, blood has been spilt to afford us this moment. It just, it spoke to me just, just now that there's someone who spilt blood for us. Blood has been spilt to afford us this moment in time. Blood has been spilt so that we can bring about the abolition of slavery in our world. Blood has been spilt by that man, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that we can have freedom and we can bring His freedom into the world around us. And as to quote Abraham Lincoln, now, now, now is the time for us to bring that to the world around us. There's a world who are desperately in need of the love of Christ, who are going to a Christless hell without Him. And yet we just don't seem to care. There's a lack of urgency in our hearts. And I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not saying, hey, you guys have got it all right. I'm with you in this. I know that we need to collectively have a heart that brings the love of Christ into our world. And if, if you are with me in that today, I'd ask you to stand. I want us to pray that we gain the sense of urgency that, that Lincoln had, to, that he had to abolish slavery in his world. He had to do that no matter the cost, no matter the cost to his family, no matter the cost to the actually hundreds and thousands of lives, no matter the cost to his nation, he had to see that thing out. We need to see this out. Let's just pray and let's, let's come before God with a heart of humility and say we're sorry and, and allow that call to stir in us again. Father, I want to say I'm sorry where I don't care enough about my unchurched, my unsaved friends, my unsaved family. God, I recognize that blood has been spilt to afford me this moment. Jesus, you gave your all so that we could be free, God, and so we could bring your freedom to the world. Holy Spirit, show us how, convict us, guide us day by day to bring freedom to the world around us. Give us wisdom where we need to compromise on the little to achieve the greater, the greater love, the greater salvation that is for the world around us. Show us and guide us, God, and give us that fire in the belly. Give us that fire from your Holy Spirit that will do what it takes, that will pay whatever the price to see your kingdom established in Timaru. And all God's saints said, amen. Hey, there's a group of people here and you're facing a decision. I said earlier, I believe there's a, there's a group of people here who 
you're in that valley of indecision between two right choices and it's not clear for you, I just want to pray right now that the call of God is made known and it becomes clear. Is it actually yeah, just a show of hands if that's you here this morning? You think, yeah, there are some big calls I need to make. I see you. Yep, 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 yep. There's a few hands here. That's awesome. Okay, let's agree together for these people that, that it will be made clear. Father, we thank you that God, you place a call on our lives that goes above and beyond just right and wrong, that even goes beyond beyond right and right. God, it goes to the heart of who we are. And Father, I pray that this morning you would show us in these decisions that we make, you will show us the way of your call. You will show us the way that best follows your call on our lives. Make that clear, God. Father, give us the humility to ask for for wisdom from other people, for for decisions, uh, for, for their call on that God give us give us the wisdom to to know what is the way of, of of faith and of hope and of love but ultimately God show us by sovereignly by your Holy Spirit what it is you want us to do make it clear right now in Jesus name amen there's one more group of people I want to pray for and that's if you're here this morning and you, you haven't come into relationship with Jesus, or you have in the past, but you've walked away. Blood has been spilt to afford you this decision this morning. And just with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning and you, you know that actually you're not right with God, you're not walking free, free not from a, a human slave, but free from the slavery that is sin in your life. If you're not walking free from that, Jesus has brought you freedom. You just need to step forward into it by coming into relationship with Him. If that's you here this morning and you want to step into that freedom, just raise your hand and I'll see it and you can you can put it down and we'll pray together. Is anyone here this morning and you want to make that decision? Okay, I'm not seeing any, any hands raised. And while that is okay, that also is a, a spur to me and to us to go, you know what? We need to get people who don't know Christ into the space where they can be challenged by the gospel, where they can they can meet the God who wants to turn their life around. We need to be inviting our friends and family into this space. Church. Bless you. Go away and watch that movie. Go on. Make your best smarter. It's good. Bless you. Amen. Let's give them a round of applause.